0: Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan, joined today by Brandon Piller, wrapping up a rare shootout game, only the second time this season and first since October 17th in Las Vegas. And, well, uh, they lost both last night by a score of 5 4, despite Marcus Hogberg's heroics in overtime. We'll break that all down, as well as the Belleville Senators' win streak coming to a screeching halt against the Toronto Marlies. But hey, at least Rudy Ballsters is still producing. I mean, this guy has been streaking longer than Will Ferrell in old school. This is the Locked On Senators Podcast, your team every day. Today is December 22nd, and shock, Pilsy, Chris Stewart was a complete non-factor.
1: Yeah, he definitely was a non-factor during the game, but uh, how about his little antics in the warm-ups, eh? Trying to get a little rise out of Borro Cop? Yeah, well, Boro was pretty clear in the morning. I love the
0: quote from him where he said, hey, I'm making $0 next year. I've proven that I'm going to fight whoever. I have a willingness to go, and he's had to a million times in his career. I don't think he's worried about a guy who played three minutes and 50 seconds in the game,
1: zero in the third period. I don't think he's worried about a guy like that. Yeah, Boro's an offensive guy now. He's a skill guy. He doesn't have time for uh, pigeons like Stewart and trying to set scraps up. He's worried about getting points. Speaking of which, he got two last night, career high in goals. Let's go, Boro. Yeah, we're going to get into all the defenseman talk
0: a little bit later because there's so much going on on the back end. But I do want to mention he also was not uh, shy to go after the same guy. Of course, the reason why Chris Stewart was going after Boro. Uh, in warm-up was because he left Travis Konechny with a concussion from their last meeting, a very physical affair. There was the Konechny storyline. There was the Kachuk Lawton. Lawton out of the lineup as well, so that kind of died down. But going back to Konechny, he had another play today. He's really got to learn when Boro's on the ice because it was in the same area, right in front of the Senators' bench. And he had his head down and Boros hit him again. Um, uh, Konechny ended up chasing him down, actually, after that play. And Boro's was just smiling. He's like, man, you got to know, like, that's the way he plays hockey. So, uh, heads up play. You mentioned the offensive numbers, just super impressive. Another guy who was impressive last night was Marcus Hogberg. I was not a fan of the first goal, the Kevin Hayes breakaway. I thought that even though maybe Eric Branstrom could have done a better job kind of angling him off, you got to stay on your post. He's a left shot coming in on the left side, and he pulled off too quickly. And, I mean, that thing just trickled in.
1: And that, that's a tough one because that's two younger guys in Hogberg and Brandstrom that are dealing with a savvy vet in Kevin Hayes. And I think uh, Hogberg was kind of relying on Branstrom to tie him up well enough to draw him to the far side. But then at the kind of last second, Hayes, he put uh, slipped it through the other side, which neither of them were expecting. And, you know, I think Branstrom he tried his best on that play like. It was honestly, it was a borderline hooking penalty in my eyes. He was really tying him up. But just that's where the size and strength and experience comes into play as a defenseman, where you have to find a better way to hold him off or at least push him farther to the side. And like you said, that's a tough one that Hogberg has to at least uh, spread his massive frame out and get that pad uh, a little farther over so that Hazy can't slip it in there. But definitely a tough one to uh, let the Flyers get ahead quickly like that.
0: Yeah, there was a lot to like about Hogberg's game, but that was a little bit of a stinker to start it off. He did bounce back well. He ended up with 34 saves, made four unreal saves in the extra frame or else it wouldn't have even gone to the shootout. And then he was solid in the shootout as well. Um, he stopped Claude Giroux on a really nice shot. Um, and, I mean, there's not much more you can ask. Chris Stevenson from The Athletic, he tweeted out saying that somebody just yelled the Hogburglar in the uh the press box i think that's a little much seeing as hogberg has a one one and two record so he'd only have to win his next 19 straight games to even the hamburglers mark of 21 and two that is still just astounding uh another thing that's astounding to me is a guy like tyler ennis he was named the first star in the building two goals had an assist as well had three points on the senators four goals he's up to 10 goals and 11 assists this year I think a team's going to get a pretty good value player here coming up in Tyler Ennis here
1: coming at the deadline. I agree, Ross. And I mean, Tyler Ennis, I think the best way to describe him is he's got a nose for goals like this guy. Like he's not incredibly uh, he's definitely not big he doesn't use his size he's not incredibly fast i don't think he is incredible in any aspects of the game but once he sees the puck is in a good area for scoring he just finds a way to get it done he's been good on the power play this year for uh, struggling sens power play and he just this is a contract year for him and he knows if he can cash in this year play really well for the Sens, keep getting points, get dealt to a contender at the deadline and keep lighting it up, I think he can get a nice contract more than a one-year deal that he got with the Sens and uh, pretty pretty similar with the Leafs that he signed. So this is a guy, there's lots of guys on this team that are in contract years. You talked about it with Boro. They're making $0 as of now, next season. So if they keep playing this way and if Tyler Ennis keeps producing, he's going to be a nice return for the Sens and add a good scoring depth to a contending team come February.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure what happened in Minnesota with him because only one year into his contract, he was ended. He got bought out. He only had eight goals in 73 games, but then you mentioned he signed that one year show me deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs and he averaged under 10 minutes a game over 51 games and still put up 12 goals. So, He's, he's already at 10 now in 37 games this year, uh, getting a little more opportunity, playing exactly five minutes more per game uh, than he did last season. So there's a lot to like if you're Tyler Ennis and, and you want to continue your career. I mean, he's still getting paid, right, from, uh, from the wild buyout. So he's, I don't think he's as worried as we mentioned a guy like Boro might be, who's actually making $0 next year. But love the way he plays. He's been good on the power play, too. And that senator's power play has been a lot better of late. Everyone was kind of making it the butt of the joke, how they were under 10%. Well, they're 5 for their last 21 here in their last six games, which is over 23%, closer to 24. So the power play is clicking, and we both know that Anthony Duclair is a huge reason why. He set the Sens franchise record last night for most goals in the month of December. It's a pretty specific stat. Not any month, just the month of December, but <laughs> yeah. it broke a four-way tie with some pretty good goal scorers. Sean McEachran in 98, Danny Heatley in 07, and Jason Spetz in 07. That Sens 017 was a complete wagon, but the beauty is he's already got 11. Well, they still play three more games this month. So he has a chance to really put this to bed. He also set a career high. That was his 21st goal of the season. He's on
1: pace for 47, Bilzi. Anthony DeClaire, the Duke, he continues to roll on. And you talked about the power play. He's He now leads the team in power play goals. He scored two power play goals. Game winning goals, not a big deal. And they were carbon copies of each other. I mean, the one in uh, against Columbus rather was that exact same play where Shabbat is at the top of the power play. And I think you need to credit Shabbat more with those goals because it's his it's almost like a head fake and he slowly slips it over to declare. And that fools a lot of the penalty killers. And then Declare has a wide open lane and more time to beat the goalie with that insane one-timer that he's got. So Anthony Declare, he just keeps rolling on. And the goal he scored on the power play last night against the Flyers, he was in that exact same spot. But good presence uh, and awareness To see that that puck gets knocked down, it rolls out, so he glides into the slot and just buries it. Doesn't even think about it, just buries it. That's a guy that's playing with uh, the utmost confidence, and I don't see any reason why he's not going to stay hot. There's
0: no reason for that at all. He's been lights out and... Yeah, that one-timer is really working for him. He, he might have to um, send a trademark request and take away Ovi's office. It's now DeClaire's office, although it is on the other side of the ice. Yeah. Ovi being a right shot, DeClaire left. So, hey, maybe the patent's still pending. Maybe he's able to get himself in there as well. Um, well, they got the point, but you know what? You look at the standings. They passed the team last night. Well, that team was the San Jose Sharks, who also lost in regulation.
1: So, Pillsy, if they're going to pass a team, that's the one you want to pass, right? Who would have thought years, if you're you're talking five years ago, that we would be so obsessed with the San Jose Sharks uh, standings this season? But it's been fun because the San Jose Sharks have been super streaky. Like, I feel like they started the year off absolutely terrible. Then they got hot again. Then they got terrible again. And now they're still terrible, thank God. So, I think there's a good chance the Sens could have at least two picks uh, in top 10. So if the Sharks keep keep sinking like they are, it's looking good for the Sens come draft day 2020. I was uh, laying in bed. I'm down in Florida visiting my
0: parents. So uh, down here, I mean, bedtime's pretty early. So I was just laying in bed looking at Game Center, and I saw it was 2-2 with 10 minutes left. So I threw on the radio feed for the Blues, and I was just listening to that, and... I just had a feeling that they were going to end it. And then not only did they score with, I think, seven minutes left, they added two empty netters to really put the, the hammer on. And, man, those Sharks, like, it's not a joke anymore. This is almost a new year, and they are struggling. The only team worse than them in the Pacific Division is the Los Angeles Kings, and they've been absolutely brutal. This year, they're tied with the Anaheim Ducks as well. Actually, you know what? Now that I look at it, it's a three-way tie right now in the bottom of the Pacific. So um doesn't get any easier for San Jose. Their next game here coming up is against the Vegas Golden Knights. So a team a little bit ahead of them in the standings, but who also struggled earlier. So you know that every point is, is going to be valuable for them too. Speaking of value, I mean, Shabbat's extension hasn't even kicked in yet. This guy is making $900,000, and he is playing... So much hockey. He's got the three highest time on ice in a game this season, all in the last five days. Is this more impressive, or is this ridiculous and needs to stop?
1: Well, let's give credit where credit's due. It's certainly impressive for Thomas Shabbat. For a guy of his age, and you mentioned it still on the last deal of the entry-level contract, I'd love to uh, see the dollar-per-minute played uh, ratios between him and some other guys in the league because it would just be it'd be laughable what kind of bargain the Sens are getting, which you know Eugene Melnick, he loves his bargains, so that's great. But the problem it's it's impressive for Shabbat that he's able to take this workload as it comes to him, but it's a problem. Straight up, it's it. This can't last much longer. If you see, you mentioned there's three games left in December. If it goes any uh, farther than December and into the new year, where he's playing 30 minutes, and you've got a guy like Cody Cody Goluboff playing 23 minutes and not really playing well, really being overwhelmed. Uh, he was a big factor in three of the goals that he was on the ice for at a dash. He three. had no,
0: he had no idea
1: that Van Reemstake was behind him on that last breakaway. And that's a guy like JVR, we all know his talent for scoring, but he is not a fast skater. That's a guy that you should be able to uh, keep tabs on and, ho- and hold him off from getting a breakaway. And you know it's pretty likely he's going to get a goal if he's wide open and all alone against uh, Marcus Hogberg. So that's on goal buff. And you know what? It's it's not really his fault as a 30-year-old veteran defenseman. He's a guy that really he's meant to be your seventh D A kind of guy that he can spend time in the press box, which he did a lot of at the start of the year. And then he can kind of plug him in every once in a while on the bottom pair when you have injuries or need to give guys a break. Or like uh, DJ Smith was doing, uh, giving Branstrom a game or two up in the press box to get a different view of things. But he is not a guy that should be paired playing top minutes with Thomas Shabbat. So that's a real struggle. and. I don't know what the Sens are going to do because the injured D for this franchise is just crazy. You've got DeMello, who's still going to be out for a couple weeks. Zaitsev, Hainsey. And Hainsey and Zaitsev, they were the two guys brought in to bolster that D line, uh, D core, and make sure that these problems weren't happening. So it's really tough seeing those guys go out. And I don't know. Parley and I talked about it last episode. It's, it's a tough position for the Sens because you don't want to give up any assets just to get a temporary uh, band aid solution defenseman. But also, how long can you let this slide and how much can you uh, let the weak decor be a detriment to your team and uh, kind of ruin the confidence of your team? Because let's face it, if you have a uh, better defenseman, in those three spots that are injured, you're probably winning these games. The Sens have been in over t- or uh games past regulation in five of the six uh games they've played recently. So if you have just a little bit more talent on that back end, there's a much better chance that you're winning those games and you're taking the two points home instead of the one. Well not like
0: these guys who I'm about to mention were household names or that they really did a whole lot. But last year they they ran into the same problem depth on the back end. And Well, what they do, they didn't give up any assets. They just signed guys who needed contracts. Justin Falk comes to mind and Stefan Elliott. And that just allows guys to go back to the minors. Stick taps, by the way, Andreas Anglin getting his first NHL point in his fourth NHL season. I mean, only his 13th game, but kind of crazy how how long he's been in the system, the 2014 second rounder and the first pick in the draft. That was the year where Bobby Ryan's first rounder uh, went to Anaheim. But I mean he's an AHL defenseman. He really is. And there's a couple other guys who the coach just isn't comfortable playing. And when that happens, I'm going to say this again. There's only four times this season that a defenseman has played over 33 minutes. Morgan Riley against Washington on October 29th played 33, 16, and then Shabbat three times in the last five <laughs> days, 33, 49 last night. 33:49 against Nashville and 37:50 in Tampa Bay, so it's just unbelievable. Like those, that's, and you can even go down. Only two more defensemen have played over 31 minutes in a game, and he's beating it by six full minutes, which is basically how long Andreas Englund plays in an entire game when he's in the National Hockey League. So it can't go on much longer, and the the depth factor goes all the way down to Belleville. Because they're struggling on the back end. They've got East Coast guys trying to fill a spot here. And while they're continuing this run, you look at they had a third line yesterday that was that still had NHL prospects. It was Verono, Schlapik, and Abramov on it. So I mean, you really have to you have to wonder like if you have that much talent up front, like would a guy like Schlapik get you a, a decent defenseman? I know they're high on Ole Alsing and Lassie Thompson we're going to get into, Mr. Captain himself now, but these guys aren't coming over this year and, and this is an important year for development for the AHL guys, they need to have enough depth that their AHL decor can hang out like, keep up with the forwards down there so something has to give and I mean, some guys are taking advantage of the extra time, though, Peller. We got to get into Boro here. You mentioned the career high in goals and points. What is it about his game that's been able to evolve the way it has over this past season?
1: Well, Ross, I think the biggest thing with Boro, uh, and I'll I'll be the first one to admit, hand up, uh, until this season, I think uh, even on this podcast, the three of us, we didn't really take Boro seriously. He was kind of a guy that... He was, it was fun to have him in the lineup. We've said it a million times. He's the Wayne Gretzky of hitting. He's just tossing the body around out there. But I think this year, he's... I'm not sure what happened in the offseason, but it really seems like he's had a mental shift. I think he's really coming into his own and realizing he doesn't need to be that goon enforcer that just plays 10 minutes a night and maybe gets a scrap and just uh, gets eight hits and a couple of blocked shots a game. This is a guy that... He's playing up in the lineup due to these injuries, and he's now one of the most veteran guys on this team. Other than uh, Pajot, he's probably been on the team the longest, and Anderson uh, of the remaining Senators. So... He's becoming a main mainstay in this locker room and he's becoming a leader off the ice as well. We talked about it earlier in the show. I loved his quote about being uh saying how fighting is no longer a priority. He's in a contract year and he he doesn't want to injure himself fighting because if he breaks his hand in a scrap, which let's be honest, he'll probably lose. He's not a an an amazing fighter to begin with, then that's another guy out of the lineup, and that hurts his team so much. So I think really the biggest thing is a change in Borough's mindset and realizing that he can elevate his play and become a different style of defenseman than he was used to in his previous years in the NHL. Believe it or not, Mark Borowiecki
0: was drafted by the Ottawa Senators the same year they took Eric Carlson. That's how long he's been in the organization, the 2008 fifth rounder. And you mentioned how he's evolved his game. Well, he's still not scared to throw the body around. Only Ryan Reeves has more hits him this season Reeves has 163 Boro is second in the NHL with 148 oh yeah that's Brady Kachuk third 143 but yeah Boro his hits per 60 minutes on the ice is over 13 like you got to keep your head up and that's what I was saying about Travis Konechny you can't especially when you're Konechny size I think 5'10 like he's not a big guy you have to know that Boro's out there and I think that that goes down a lineup when when you know that the other guy is going to step up. It makes you think twice about cutting through the neutral zone. I think he's an important player now. And I, out of all the free agents here coming up, outside of Duclair, who's restricted, but out of the unrestricted free agents, I think Boro and I like, you shudder to think that you'd say this last year, but he's a guy you have
1: to lock up absolutely i agree and just because he's now showing that he's not only a bottom pair defenseman he can play up in the lineup and he can play with guys like uh Brandstrom Zeitsev Demello he can be mixed around in this uh lineup with those six defensemen so his value has has just uh increased immensely so this is a guy where i think you can you can give him a 3 year deal right around anywhere between 2 and 3 million i would say would be okay because He's, he's starting to show that he deserves that. And it's worth it for the Sens to keep him around for all the intangibles. His leadership is great, too. I liked uh, his quote, too, after the game. Uh, he said, said he was talking with Branstrom, and he's really using an approach where he's not barking at guys. He's not getting angry. He's just trying to help build their confidence and tell them to keep working, stay confident. So this is a guy that I want to see in this Sens room for a long time and wearing a letter. I love seeing Boro with that A on because he's he's showing that he knows how to be a leader and he wants to be a leader. So it's great, and Boro cop keep patrolling. Boro is
0: doing a hell of a job. So is Rudolph Balcers. His point streak reached 15 last night. And, well, not only did the Belleville Senators fall flat against the Toronto Marlies, they, uh, they did it in... You know, probably the worst way possible. They lost 7-3, but Philip Gustafson got pulled. Four goals on 14 shots. Joey went in in the third period. Tough situation to be in. Day after, winning on the road, then traveling home, missing the first two periods. But he let in a penalty shot goal, a couple more. Um, 7-3, I mentioned the final score against the Marlies. The good news is they get a chance here, coming up on December 26th, at Scotiabank Arena, at the Big Barn in Toronto, to make up for that. Otherwise, Rudy Balsers, the story. Not only 15-game point streak, but his 100th AHL point as well. How long can you keep him down there before you get him the call back to the NHL? Where, we should say, he did not look out of place last
1: season. No, not at all. And Balsers, he looks just as dominant as a guy like Drake Batherson in the AHL. I mean, Batherson still leagues the lead in points with 37 tied with Reed Boucher. And Balsers, like... 22 points in 15 games, and each of those games getting at least one point? That's just incredible. But I hate to bring back to the old point, Ross, but I really don't think we're going to see Balsers or Batherson until that trade deadline. The Sens have been adamant about it, and I think what's the point of changing your mindset now? Stick to it. Keep those guys down there performing, dominating, giving Belleville a better chance for a playoff push, and then bring them up when they're ready.
0: The tough part about last night's game is Belleville was up 3-1 when Schlappick scored early in the second period, and then it was all Toronto from there. They scored six unanswered goals. Now, people will say, yeah, well, Toronto has a bit of an advantage because all their goal scorers, you know, guys like Darren Alstribald, who's a former Belleville senator, but Nick Patan should not be in the American Hockey League. Uh, Kenny Agostino with 15 goals. Like, they have these tweeners who they're paying one-way contracts to. Pontus Aberg as well. And they're just able to pay them NHL salary at the AHL level. Martin Marincin was in the lineup as well. That guy has been on a bus back and forth. Seems like he's getting called up and down to Toronto every other day. But... You know what, this is a game I think Belleville, you know, they've been playing so well recently, they can kind of put this in the back burner, learn from it, and you got to show up at the Big Burn on Boxing Day. One stat that really came out, though, from that game, Belleville's power play, 0 for 7, and that's got to be better. With all the offensive talent on this team, that power play needs to click. Like Toronto's went 2 for 5, you know, that's just about the difference of the game. 3 for 5, well... The third being a penalty shot, so you take out those three goals and you got to tie a tie game. So um, it's one of those situations where um, you got to produce when you have the extra man.
1: And this is a tough loss too because not only is it it's your biggest rivalry against the Toronto Maple Leafs AHL affiliate uh, in the Marlies at the Battle of the 401. Essentially, now that the team's in Belleville, but to have the Marlies score 26 seconds into the game in your barn and have a Let's Go Marlies chant cry out, that's got to infuriate you. As a Belleville uh, player, especially, you've been playing so well, and they want the home support, and then the Marlies come in with their fans, score early, then, like you said, the Belleville Sens go up 3-1, and then they just let it all slip away. So that's the toughest part for the Belleville Senders, but I think we see a good chance that they bounce back in Scotiabank Arena because this has been a bounce-back team. Remember that awful loss that they had against the Cleveland Monsters, the first uh, game of the back-to-back at home? Well, they yep. came back in a huge way and absolutely dominated. So I think they're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder at Scotiabank Arena. It's going to be a big crowd on Boxing Day. I'm sure uh, lots of people will show up for a bit of a, a cheaper option to see some hockey at the main rink in Toronto. And it's going to be a good game. And I fully expect the Senators to to win in a big fashion.
0: Hey, if you're going down to that game at Scotiabank Arena, it's at 3 o'clock on that's Boxing it. Day. I'm going to be working at the Amsterdam Brewhouse down on Queens Key. So if you come in with your Sens gear, I'll be there from noon onward. If I see people walk in and you're talking Sens Central, we'll hit, we'll hook you up with a bone shaker as a, as a little giveaway here that's coming right out of my pocket, but I'm happy to do it. Nick Patan should not be playing the AHL. This guy is Four ridiculous, points. too it's his second four-point game against Belleville this season. He's got 12 points in six AHL games. Like, you kidding me right now? This guy's been on waivers twice. But now let's get some news and notes here. I'm serious, by the way. If you come down to Amsterdam Brewhouse, say, listen to the pod, we'll hook you up with a nice cold beer. Scott Sabrin, a guy who loves his beers, loves to scrap as well. He's going to be in the lineup back again tomorrow night. Great to see him back after that scary incident. (laughs) in in Boston
1: uh, about a month ago but how how would you um, alter the lineup here to make room for him that's got to be a bit of a of a relief for Boro too especially after coming out saying he's not going to be fighting anymore having someone else in the lineup that you know can kind of at least accept most of the responsibility in that enforcer type role where because uh, if other teams know that Borrell's not going to be fight, fighting, maybe they're playing a little dirtier out there. I mean, he still could throw the body around if uh, you're not sure of that. Just ask Travis Konechny about it. But having Sabrin there um to kind of fill out that physical role is going to be great for the team. And I think you got to put him on that fourth line. I mean, there's too much, there's too much offensive talent uh, around this team and too many other prospects that could be getting good chances playing uh, in a third-line role that... You got to keep Scott Sabron down there, and he's just kind of out there uh, being Boro Kopp's, uh right hand man, essentially. But that's
0: but who it. who comes out?
1: Well, Brady Kachuk didn't uh, didn't practice uh, this morning, so maybe that's a guy that uh, you're filling in Sabron, Obviously, not in Kachuk's spot in the lineup, but you shift the lineup to uh, to get him in there. Then
0: another way that uh, I think could happen: they've got two centermen playing the wing right now in Logan Brown and. Colin White, I think kind of the more natural fit, if Brady Kachuk can go tomorrow, is to take out J.C. Bode move over either Brown or White to center and then just slide him in there on wing on the fourth line. But lots of, of lots to be excited about, not only to the Sens playing Buffalo tomorrow, but the World Juniors, maybe the best time of year. And now that the, the lineups are being finalized, we're going to get our buddy Henry from Sens Prospects on next week to uh, to preview the tournament from a Sens perspective. And it could be a big one because it seems like there's going to be three in the tournament, but all playing big roles. You've got Shane Pinto of Team USA. Maybe the medal favorites. We'll get into all the favorites with Henry, but they look like they're stacked. And Shane Pinto in uh, pre-tournament game number one today is playing on a line or online number one, I should say, with a couple studs. Trevor Zegris, who uh was a number one overall or sorry, number one round pick. If I could speak English here, that'd be nice. Um, on the left side. And uh, I think Cole Caulfield might be on the right side on that top unit, but Shane Pinto getting a chance offensively, and he's been really good at North Dakota. So has Jacob Bernard Docker at Uh, as the Fighting Eagles, are they now? They used to be the Fighting Sioux. Uh, Anyways, I know they changed their name, but North Dakota University, and he's going to be in the top four for Team Canada. Jacob Bernard-Docker is um, playing with Kevin Ball, the recently traded Kevin Ball. He was in the uh, Taylor Hall deal going from Arizona to New Jersey. Yeah, I feel like every year a player gets traded like during or after the tournament. I have no stats to back it up right now, but it just... You know, I, I just have a feeling. Maybe it's more they get traded in their own leagues because that's when teams are starting to load up for a Memorial Cup run. But yeah. JBD is going to have a, a very... I think he's going to be more of a defensive specialist on this team. They've got a lot of offensive defensemen uh, on the team already. Ty Smith, most notably, in, uh, in terms of that. But it's going to be fun to watch JBD here produce on the international level. And then third, last but definitely
1: not least, Lassie Thompson. I'll let you take it away from here, Pilsy. Captain. Lassie Thompson and you just this is a time of year where Sens fans can rejoice I mean tough loss against Philly in the shootout brutal loss for the Belleville Senators against the Marlies but now you get to see what the rebuild is building in the World Juniors when like you mentioned it's not like uh, the Sens prospects that there are guys that just barely made the team you're talking about a first-line center a top four defenseman for Team Canada in JBD Jonathan Bernard Docker, as Parley likes to call him. And then the captain of the Finnish team. So this is a big deal. And hopefully uh, he doesn't uh, serve the same fate as another captain we saw as a sense prospect in Curtis Lazar. But it's good to see that obviously he has some sort of leadership abilities. And that he's going to be po- probably playing a big role. And we can expect to see Lassie Thompson play a lot of minutes for Team Finland, I don't know about you, but I haven't, I've only been able to watch pretty much what our uh, our guy Henry has made in uh, little YouTube clips and highlight videos of Lassie Thompson. I'm excited to see a complete game from him and see what he's got to show. Yeah,
0: the Tom bomb, as we call it. He has an absolute laser beam from the back end. If you go over to AdSense Central on Twitter, you can see we retweeted just translating from um, from the Finnish team making the announcement, and their direct translation is so funny. It's Lassie Thompson has been named captain of the Young Lions for their under-20 team. The Young Lions, by the way, is an all-time name. But then it says, which begins on Valentine's Day. So I don't know if Boxing Day is Valentine's Day in Finland or it's just a lost-in-translation type thing. But uh, super funny that uh, that that works out. So yeah, three guys to really keep an eye on here at the World Juniors. I'm not sure who the favorite is. I'm going to say Canada. But we're going to know really fast because the tournament opens on Boxing Day, Canada, USA. But we're going to talk to you before then here on the Locked On Senators podcast. That's Brandon Piller. I'm Ross Levitan. The Ottawa Senators in action tomorrow against the Buffalo Savers. We'll preview all that for you. Get you set. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. And if you're celebrating Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah. You Christians, you got a couple more days to wait. Christmas coming around the corner as well. Happy holidays to everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And go Sens go.